I'm Nicole A. Donnelly, your host of the Redefine Gifting Podcast, heartwarming stories of charity and philanthropy, brought to you by tisbest.org. Give the gift of love. Now get cozy and enjoy the show. I'm here with Jim McCann, founder of 1-800-Flowers, and now has a host of many other companies. Today, we're not talking business so much. We're talking philanthropy and some of the good work that uh, Jim has started doing because of the organizations he's involved with. And so, Jim, will you tell me about the first time when you experienced a charitable act, whether you did something, witnessed something, volunteered? What was something that stuck with you, and how old were you? Well, uh, Nicole, uh, what comes to mind first when you say that is uh, a family activity. That is, uh, I, I was born and raised in Queens, New York, and I am the oldest of five children. Uh, my parents uh, and, and our middle brother, so I'm, there's a, I'm the oldest, then I have a sister, then a brother, sister, then a brother. So sandwiched in the middle is a brother named Kevin, who was born uh, uh, developmentally disabled. And back uh, when we were kids, it was the dark ages in terms of attitudes about uh, mental health and uh, people with disabilities, and in particular, what was then referred to as mental retardation. And uh, we, were, we were not affluent. We were the opposite of affluent. And uh, my dad was a painting contractor, and my mom was a homemaker. And the school system didn't really have good programs for people like my brother, Kevin. Uh, and one of the, so I remember my parents started a group that would meet on Saturday mornings and create recreational and social activities for other kids with developmental disabilities. And they'd rent a, you know, some rooms in a local uh, church uh, school uh, auditorium kind of place. And it was the only time that these parents could get together, relax a little bit, not be on guard for what was going to happen to their special needs kid. And the other siblings would be involved too. So there'd be a, a real social kind of interaction and bonding. And that was when we were very, very young. Uh, throughout my brother's life, and he's doing quite well uh, now, he's 65 years old. Uh, throughout my brother's life, he's always been the centerpiece of our, of our family. And as my parents explained to us, uh, we all had our events, graduations, uh, achievements in sports or uh, other activities, finally uh, religious ceremonies and uh, getting married and having children and going to college, all those events in our lives. My brother Kevin didn't have those. And uh, along comes a, a very thoughtful family, the Kennedy family, and they create something called Special Olympics. And that was my brother's opportunity to participate and to have his day or days and have the family convene around him and his activities. So he was involved in a local Special Olympics on Long Island and then uh, uh, the state Special Olympics and then finally the International Games. So every June, we would go to a different upstate New York City uh, which would host the Special Olympics. And what made an impression on my other brothers and sisters and I is the thoughtful and caring people that were attracted to these events. Yeah. Uh, there's a group, uh, I don't know what their formal name was, but we called them the Huggers. That may have been their name. 
And uh, they were assigned, there was a different volunteer assigned to every athlete. The uh, celebration wasn't just around winning, it was around participation. And often in a, in a track uh, sprint, uh, someone couldn't get out of the blocks. Mm-hmm. And someone made it 15 yards, not 100 yards. And they were all warmly received and embraced and hugged. And I emphasize hug because the value of a hug is something I learned then, how everybody appreciates the expression of connection and caring. And that's the earliest memory I have in terms of our actual involvement with with a a charitable activity. And so my brother did that for for many, many years. And then the the pinnacle of his athletic career as a, a Special Olympian was his participation in the international games. And that, that first one that we participated in was in uh, at Notre Dame. And in fact, we ran some fundraisers for it to help pay for it and, uh, and, and be involved there. The whole family went, and it was a wonderful, wonderful weekend. But that's my memory about the impact on family, uh, the commitment of communities. Uh, I remember Elmira, New York, just came out in droves to help put this on and celebrate it and ensure that those individuals, those with special needs, all of the volunteers, all of the, the bands that would donate their time to play for the party, and, and uh, the huggers, and the families that would gather from all over, the organizers, the, the spirit of giving and caring was palpable. And it made a huge impression on me and my family, my wife, my children, uh, all of whom remember going to Uncle Kevin's Special Olympics days. So that's that's my earliest memory, and I and I saw the impact on Kevin, on me, our entire family, and the communities that we were in. That's lovely. <laughs> it's making me emotional. <laughs> I used I drove the van for Special Olympics, like driving the athletes um, yes. from the airport to the events or from their hotels to the events when I lived in Utah, and so we had the Winter Games there. Um, uh, well, uh, Utah put on one heck of a, an Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I used to compete in snowboarding and lived up in Park City. And so that was pretty special. I met somebody uh, this weekend that you look like and probably know, uh, a, a young lady who's very accomplished in the world of alpine events, Lindsay Vaughn. Oh, I don't know her personally, but of course I know of her. <laughs> A remarkable, remarkable young woman. Yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have the family experience with Special Olympics. At what point in your business did you get involved in um, philanthropic activities? Well, I think because of the uh, coding that our parents uh, impressed on us, and, and we lost our parents early. They both died at 62 uh, they were four years apart, but both age 62 when they passed, so very young. Uh, but there was such an emphasis from them uh, and pl- placed on us that we would stay involved in Kevin's life. You know, the parent or the responsible sibling or caring adult of a person with disabilities, when they put their head on the pillow at night, the last thought they have always is what happens after I'm gone to their loved one. And uh, we're fortunate that I think we answered that very effectively for for our parents before they passed. But we've been true to that. They've gone a long time now, uh, 30 30 years, uh, just about. uh, uh, Kevin has been the centerpiece of our lives. So the other four of us, the other four siblings, 
Uh, we've never left the New York metropolitan area. I think one of the reasons we, none of us ever moved away is we're a close family as a result of how our parents raised us and insisted that we be involved in Kevin's activities and, and not only us, but our families, uh, the next generation. Uh, so we've always been involved in, uh, in uh, community activities and philanthropic activities. And my brother Kevin now lives in a group home that's run by an organization called IGHL, Independent Group Home Living, founded by a terrific fellow 40, uh, 43 years ago. Uh, he created one group home. He was a teacher at a co local college. And uh, we, had, uh, we had something here in the New York area called uh, uh, State Hospitals, one of which was Willowbrook. And a courageous reporter who's still very, very well known and active by the name of Gerardo Rivera, uh, was working for ABC News at the time, and he did an expose on the horrors of Willowbrook. And uh, Governor Cuomo, the first Governor Cuomo, decreed that those agencies would all be shut down. And so you have this wave of people coming out of those state facilities being pushed into the community, and there was nothing for them to go to. So Walter Stockton, the founder of IGHL, said to his buddies in a local rotary or something, Let's pass a hat, let's raise some money, let's open up a group home because so many of these people are putting out come from our community here on Long Island. So uh, he started that and today, fast forward, IGHL is an agency that uh, cares for about 8,000 people a day between nursing home programs and day facilities and rehab facilities and group homes. And we're very fortunate that my brother Kevin has lived for uh, for uh, 25 years now in uh, uh, one of the IGHL group homes and he's doing well and he's thriving and so well run. And we're so thankful that there are people on this planet like Walter Stockton who are saint-like and are great entrepreneurs. You know, even in the not-for-profit world, you know, as yeah. you're so involved, there are some great entrepreneurial stories and, and Walter's is one of them. And, and that's 8,000 families a day benefit from the good work of all the people who work at IGHL and they're there because Walter had a vision that these people should have the same opportunities that we all have. So it's been a part of our life from very, very early childhood. And at Flowers, we have, I think it's something special about the people who are attracted to work in the flower and gift business. They tend to be a little bit more sensitive, a little maybe less driven by the new tech conquest, although we make good use of technology. And so our, our, our systems, our brands have always been very, very active in their communities with a variety of charities. But it was about five years ago that Walter Stockton called my brother Chris and I. My brother Chris is the CEO of, of Flowers now. And uh, he said, look, I have an idea. And the idea was your brother Kevin and so many other people who live and work here in, uh, in uh, the IGHL community could and should be working in the local community, but I can't find them jobs. Yeah. So his idea was that we should uh, write a big check, <laughs> buy a piece of property, build some greenhouses and create some work opportunities. And that, that we took up the torch from that. It's now called Smile Farms. Mm -hmm. And we just, uh, just yesterday uh, authorized our 10th campus. And what we do is we find work, create work opportunities and career opportunities for people with primarily developmental, but not just developmental disabilities. Because after you age out of school age programs, yeah. there's not a lot to do for people with disabilities. So we create a work environment. And as you know, work is a lot more than a paycheck. It's a reason yeah. to get up in the morning. It's a sense of self-worth. It's the dignity of work. It's social. 
And uh, so we're having a blast over the last five years. And in the tradition of our parents, our kids, that is my, my siblings and I, our kids, our grandkids uh, are all involved in Smile Farms and the activities. It's a not-for-profit of raising the money to finance the programs to help what's now a few hundred families uh, who have work and career opportunities and, uh, and dragging their families into involvement to help us grow every day to help more and more people. I would so love that if it were here. My husband's brother is disabled as well, and he's never, I, I don't know, maybe he's had a few jobs, but he hasn't had one since I've known my husband, and he's 46 now. And we've been talking about group homes and, you know, what happens when his dad passes away. Those tough conversations, those tough thinking, it's tough stuff to think about. But, yeah, it has to happen. Yeah. The smile farms, that sounds that sounds so amazing. Like, that is such a magical. My mom worked in a group home, too, when I was young. And then I did, too, as well. So I've been in that environment. Me, um, too. <laughs> and, yeah. And I feel like it's so good for the social life of, you know, all the residents and I, you know, I'd take them out on road trips, day trips and to the store and would do all the things. It was good. <laughs> yeah, that, that led to my first career, you know, the, the, the family involvement, uh, growing in New York city, my role models were policemen and firemen, the people I looked up to in the community that I grew up in. And I thought for sure I'd be a New York city policeman. And in fact, I went to John Jay college of criminal justice uh, to pursue my uh, uh, idea of being a, a policeman. Uh, but along the way, I started working in a group home, a uh, home for teenage boys who had had tough backgrounds. Yeah. And uh, so I lived in and worked in a group home and group homes. And I ran a group home program. It was called St. John's Home for Boys. And it was a wonderful career. And as you started to hint at, it meant so much to me. I learned so much as a 20, 21, 22, 23, 24-year-old living in those group homes with 10 young men, most of the time just me and them. I learned so much about myself and, and of course, them. Uh, but uh, it was a, a fast-track education and uh, psychoanalysis uh, all rolled into one. I feel like it's probably is pretty good for the emotional intelligence development because you have to be the calm, cool, collected one all the time. Even you when you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What I learned then, I wonder if it's what? the same for you. These are 10 teenage boys from very tough circumstances. And I, what I painfully discovered, because I wasn't very good at the work at the beginning, and I got better because of good mentorship and counseling from people who actually knew what they were doing. Even though they came from very tough circumstances, very tough backgrounds, they wanted to know that there was a set of rules and they were fairly applied. They wanted to know that they were cared for, in fact, loved. Yeah. And that they were safe. Safe from the man, <laughs> the institution, from one another, and from the challenges in the community, because we were in tough communities. But the underlying aspect is, you know, I just told the story of the other day. These are tough guys. I mean, stars of the football team, all city athletes, uh, uh, bad, some real bad kids. But I was talking the other day about someone about the importance of birthdays. And I said, you know, we have 5,000 or so people at Flowers today. And I send a birthday email to everybody. 
And the, re the response I get is remarkable. You know, it's how much people appreciate it. And I said, no matter how big and tough you are, you still want to be remembered on your birthday. And I described how uh, we had a wonderful house mother in the first group home I lived in. So I, I, I started work at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, finished at midnight, and then I was on duty in my uh, asleep, yeah. and I had my room in the house. Get up in the morning, get the kids out to school, and the day counselor would come in. And Dorothy, our, our house mother, uh, was a wonderful older woman, and she just cared for these, cared for everybody, but her caring was very evident. And uh, every, every guy in the house, we knew their birthday, and they got to pick the dinner they wanted, and Dorothy would cook it for them. And we make them put this silly hat on with a string around it. And it was the same hat. We kept it in a box. And they had to put this silly little ring on with this furry-headed thing on. And these are bad guys, right? But, and they all did it. No, I'm not going to wear that. That's ridiculous. You're out of your mind. And we all had to sing happy birthday to them. And they all picked a dinner. They loved it. Yeah. And, okay, Mr. Jim. That's what they would call him. Mr. Jim, my birthday's a week from Friday. I saw on the calendar that Mr. Arthur's going to be off. Could we switch my birthday to the Thursday because I want her to cook my dinner? Yeah. It was cute. That's so sweet. There's the group homes, and then what did you do after that before Flowers? Well, it wasn't a long time. Uh, so I was yeah. four years living and working in group homes. Then I got promoted into the administration of, uh, of the home, and then it wasn't 24-7 anymore. Uh, and it was, it was wonderful work, and it was good people doing the good work for very, very little money. Not-for-profit, social services, doesn't pay well. But everyone knows that going in. But, you know, I married young. Mary Lou and I married very young. We started a family very young. And these kids wanted to do strange things like eat, buy clothes, and go to school. So I was always doing things on the side. Uh, because I grew up working for my dad, I knew how to uh, do things around uh, buying a, a building, fixing it up, and renting it out or selling it, and I had done that. And being an Irish Catholic kid from South Queens, I had a genetic requirement to be a bartender part-time. Yeah. So I was doing that on Friday and Saturday nights to supplement my income from the home. And uh, uh, one of my customers there uh, owned a flower shop across the street, told me he was going to be selling it. I said, really? How much are you going to be asking for? He said, $10,000. Well, serendipity is I had just sold a building in Brooklyn that I had uh, fixed up and had a $10,000 profit in it. So lo and behold, I said to him, you mind if I come work there a couple of Saturday afternoons before I go to work at the bar? And he said, sure, but why? I said, well, maybe I'm a buyer. And I did that. And I said, geez, flower business is nice. You deal with people at nice times in their life mostly. Uh, you get to interact with them. It's retail. I can figure that out. I've always worked in retail. Uh, so I wanted to buy in that flower shop. But... I didn't leave my job at St. John's right away. I stayed on for several more years doing both uh, because I needed the, the security of steady income because yeah. I went into the florist business not just to be a florist, which, of course, I became, but to build a business. And so the six months after I opened the first flower shop, I opened the second, and I did one every six months for 10 years, and then actually every quarter I'd open up another shop. And then I eventually had to retire from St. John's. So I've only done two career things. I did lots of part-time things, but two career things were St. John's home and the flower business. And they overlap for about eight years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time to be doing both. <laughs> well, you know, the good news, I'm not smarter than too many other people, but I'm willing to work harder. <laughs> On the work harder note and sending out the birthday emails to everybody, 
when COVID hit, you also started writing emails to the to the customers, which you consider your community. Is that right? It, it, we did indeed. During uh, at the advent of COVID, uh, I started writing a letter uh, to our customers, who we were more and more beginning to think about as a community. And what I mean by that, I was trying to mimic that relationship we had with our customers 40 years ago when we had the one flower shop on the Upper East Side of New York. Our customers weren't just people who came in and buy flowers. They were people who we got friendly with, who we got to know. They were people who would stop by just to say hello, stop in and ask for recommendations in terms of bringing a friend from out of town, what restaurants should they go to, what restaurants are hot, what shows are on, what, what's going on, uh, who's, who's going to be at Rodney Dangerfield's nightclub across the street from us, uh, are, there, are they any good? Uh, can, you, can you get my name on the list? Uh, can I drop off my dry cleaning? Can I help uh, they come in and feel comfortable making themselves a, uh, a mug or coffee? So it was genuinely a relationship. And, and all these years later, 40 years later, 40 plus years later, we're trying to mimic that same relationship with those customers who made us go as a business then. And the only way you can do that effectively is with using current communication tools uh, e email, uh, uh, social media, uh, video content. And so when COVID struck last year, it just seemed logical to me that if, if we genuinely thought about our customer group as a community, that I ought to write and share what I and we were thinking, uh, my brother and I, what we were thinking about what was going on. And, and a year ago, it was dark. Uh, our fears were very, very primal. Uh, would we get sick? Uh, would any of our family or friends get sick? Would there be a business? Uh, would we have access to health care? The supermarkets, this is, remember, we're in the New York area where the yeah. virus burst struck, uh, struck heavily. Hospitals were full. Stories of ambulances refusing to pick people up. There was nowhere to take them. Of course, the horrible stories of the refrigerator vans holding the bodies that were coming out of these places. It was a very dark, primal fear kind of time. So I took to starting to write and the ideas and thoughts of my brother and I were feeling and sharing. And we started doing that and we just started going out on Sundays and we eventually called it uh, the Celebrations Pulse Letter. And it's, uh, it's had a remarkable impact on us and our interaction with our customers, how we think of them more and more as a community. And the feedback and the Dialogue that's come from that has been nothing short of remarkable. Now, it's evolved over the year. Uh, the, the emotions aren't so fearful and dark, and, uh, and although the crisis continues on, it, it feels different. It looks different. The prospects are better. The vaccines are a miracle of uh, science that we're greatly benefiting from. Uh, there's a long way to go, but it's certainly looking brighter than dark. And, uh, and, and we've taken to every Sunday uh, sharing our theme message, which is, it's all about uh, relationships. Uh, during, the, during this course of this past year, uh, Meredith uh, Weinberg, who's my assistant uh, chief of staff, uh, she, uh, she and I have met some remarkable people who we call our COVID buddies <laughs> because we've become very close and friendly with them and we've never met in person. Thank God for this kind of technology, huh? Yeah. And, uh, and, and three of them were three of the most remarkable, renowned psychologists in the world 
who we ask to help us think about our relationship with our community, what we're feeling, what our needs are, and we took to calling them our connectivity council. And they're remarkable. And one of them in particular, George Everly, Dr. George Everly from the, uh, from the uh, Johns Hopkins School uh, and from the, uh, the Bloomberg uh, School of uh, Public Health, where he's a tenured professor there. Extraordinary man, extraordinarily gifted person and thinker, psychologist of great repute and expert on trauma and the impact on, on uh, mental health and anxiety, et cetera. And his, his teaching that we've learned a lot this year is uh, the key, you wanna know who's gonna survive, who's gonna be the most resilient in times of trauma and stress? You wanna know who has the best, best mental health? It's the people with the most best and deepest relationships. It's, it's scientifically proven, there's just no question about it. So that's been the theme of our writing, thinking, researching uh, this past year is to help our, our, our public, our community, think about things like we've done forums on the impact of COVID on kids. I'm very concerned about my grandkids and in school, out of school, Zoom learning, yeah. lack of social intimacy, uh, lack of, you know, so what, what's going to be impacted? What are we as parents and grandparents, friends, aunts, uncles, what should we be thinking about in terms of what we need to do? And George has been very helpful on that. Dan Willingham, a renowned psychologist, especially become expert recently in early childhood development. Uh, his name is Dan Willingham, University of Virginia, uh, PhD from a little school in, in Massachusetts called Harvard. Thoughtful, caring, good, good man. And a most recent addition is a wonderful woman named Dr. Chloe Carmichael, who oh, is yeah. just delightful. Do you know her? Yeah. She's just terrific. And she has a new book out uh, about dealing with uh, anxiety. Uh, and and I'll simplify the premise of the book, which is so much of what we've been writing about, which is we're all going to experience anxiety. And what she proffers in her book is know that understand that and understand anxiety is going to get your engine ribbing and it's going to create energy so that energy can be overwhelmingly negative or if we're conscious of it and we develop a right framework for how to deal with it we can turn that energy into a positive and so it's all about harnessing the energy that comes from anxiety to help you to live more positively and healthily. and she's terrific and the third member of that connectivity council so out of this darkness, it's come so many good things in terms of learning, relationship. It's not to minimize the half a million or so people now who have lost their lives and the nine people for everyone that's passed who are now experiencing grief. But they help us to think about it, frame it, and bring helpful tools, ideas, and dialogue to our community that help them to live better, healthier lives. That's so thoughtful. I don't know many um, organizations that would go to that degree to, to intentionally care for their communities. Let's be honest here. At first, it's, it's been, it, first and foremost, it's beneficial to us and our team members. Yeah. And we just get to share it with our community. But there's a selfish motivation here is, look, we get to talk to some of the smartest, most thoughtful, uh, knowledgeable people in the world. So if you learn something, you want to share it. And yeah. I want to share it with my brother. I want to share it with my brothers and sisters. I want to share it with my family, with my kids, my teammates, and now the our community. So if we wanted to uh, benefit from this, how do we start getting your 
newsletter? How do we start getting the what you've been learning? Well, it's easy. You just uh, you just uh, write to uh, write to us at Flowers, and we're happy to put you on the list. We just had a meeting just before this about we're hearing that question more and more because we just send it to our our our, uh, our our customer list. So seven million uh, people a week are, are getting our letter and reading our letter, and that's uh, a remarkable number. But more and more are asking them, how do I share this without forwarding an email? And we just had a meeting, so I don't have a good answer for you on that yet. <laughs> but just just before you and I engaged here. We had a meeting, and the team is telling me pe people want to know: Can they repurpose this letter? Can they use it elsewhere? Uh, I put in a video clip of a conversation I had with Chloe Carmichael, Dr. Chloe Carmichael, in last week's letter, and it, it, tens of thousands of people clicked on it to get some of the pearls of her wisdom. I mean, she just she knows how to take something very complex and make it simple, and give you the three things you need to do that are easy to remember. She's 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 so digestible. It's everything so digestible. And she's terrific. But three, those three people, I feel very close to each of them and all of them. And and I've never met them in person. Strange. Fortunate that we do have the technology to be able to connect. Wow. Wow. How different yeah. would it have been? Tisbest had the best year ever last year. So tell me a little bit about this uh, Tisbest. Um, we have charity gift cards. And it was somebody who came from technology, Simeon and Eric were the two co-founders. And Eric was a Harvard Law grad and Simeon um, was in Microsoft. And they both had different reasons. Um, Eric wanted to stop giving stuff and give more, you know, give to charity. And... Um, Simeon wanted to, he had been on a big project and wanted to celebrate the team. They all wanted time off to volunteer. And that, and he said, well, we're technologists. Let's solve a charity problem with technology. They built this charity engine that taps into everyone who's registered in the database. The 501c3 is pulled into the site. So if I give you a charity gift card, you can redeem it for any charity that you want. Uh -huh. And so then it just amplifies giving. That's terrific. I love when people go, hey, we can solve this with technology. It's not yeah. my field. It's not what we intended to do, but we can, we can fix this. I love yeah. that attitude. And we can, we can figure it out. And so now we're trying to do more to integrate with other people's technologies so that you're influential in the business world. And when someone's starting a business, I think so many people now have heart and they want to give, they might not have a profitable business yet. They can give charity gift cards to vendors and to their employees and still be in that marketplace of love and care at whatever scale works for them. Because, you know, not everybody's got the, the funds to go start something like a big smile farm that a lot of people are on that path where they really do want to make a bigger impact. And that's more of the business culture now than ever. Yes, indeed. I mean, it's amazing. I, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're of that age, uh, but I remember contemporaries of mine, boomers thinking, oh, these, these millennials are so self, uh, self uh, absorbed and, they really don't want to work hard. My goodness, that couldn't be further from the truth in terms of what we see at Flowers. Uh, these are people who not only do they want to do they work hard, not only do they work smart, but I, I'm, Chris and I have been blown away by how developing Smile Farms as the preferred charity, the primary active charity of, of, uh, of Flowers and all our other brands, Harry and David, 
uh, Wolfman's, uh, Cheryl's, uh, Simply Chocolate, et, et cetera. That when we have an event, so we do fundraising events, we do golf tournaments, we do uh, trips to ball games, we do a gala every year, we do flower shows, we do lots of different things. The number of people who volunteer is overwhelming. Yeah. And it's, and, and those, and you want to know who the best performers in flowers are? Who? The correlation is very, very high. It's the same people. It's the same people because they're, they're people who throw themselves into things that are important to them. Work, their volunteer activities, and it becomes social too. So these are terrific, bright, talented young people who are smart and caring and give of their time so, so frequently. It's, it, 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 frankly, it's something Chris and I talk about. It's the benefit of smile farms that we don't often talk about. We always talk about the obvious benefits how it helps people like my brother Kevin that have meaningful work and learn job skills. Uh, but now uh, it's starting to evolve at Smile Farms and Nicole so that our Smile Farms campuses, uh, which are run and staffed by people with disabilities, are now saying, how can we help other people with other needs? So we start out growing flowers and plants, obvious, because we know where we're going to get them sold. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, more and more, we're growing food stuff. We have a big push on peppers. I'll tell you why in a second. And tomatoes and cucumbers. And we do a lot hydroponically. And we have one campus that's uh, uh, it's it's the exception because it's mostly young people, 20 and under, who are 99% uh, are wheelchair bound. Many of them uh, uh, have multiple disabilities. So for there, we uh, we had to build high beds that they could work in out out of wheelchairs, and they had to be wide enough apart that yeah. two wheelchairs could pass one another. And uh, we went with a hydroponic setup there and we grow uh, tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers. And we grew so many last year that these people from the Viscardi Center in Albertson, Long Island, Nassau County, Albertson, were uh, getting the Viscardi School van truck to take their excess produce, bushels of uh, uh, cucumbers and tomatoes and peppers over to... Uh, uh, the soup kitchen uh, nearby, and they, the, the look on their face and their expression when they came back telling us about how they helped people who had food insecurities. And we, we're the primary user of that produce because we, we feel, feed everybody for Scotty two meals a day, breakfast and lunch. And, uh, and we use it first, but we were producing so much by the end of last summer when the heat of the Long Island summer uh, and these hydroponic beds, I was so productive that we couldn't use it all ourselves. So we were giving it to the food kitchen and to see that connection with people with one kind of need, helping other people uh, with, uh, with different needs uh, to have meaning and purpose in their life. It's a virtuous circle. It is. It really is. More recently, you acquired Worth Magazine. Yes. You want to tell me a little bit about what Worth is and then how you ended up bringing that feeling of love and impact into that that project or company as well. Well, uh, so when I stepped down a few years ago as uh, CEO of Flowers, and my younger brother Chris assumed that role, I became the, the, the chair. So I'm still there full-time, very actively involved. But it freed me up somewhat to create a family office investment platform, which we always wanted to do, to invest in the technologies that we saw coming along beyond what we do to make ourselves a better floral and gift company. Uh, so we call that Clarum. And, uh, and I partnered with a terrific young man named Paul Stamoulis, 
who is a Wall Street veteran, and he just finished up his career on Wall Street. I said, why don't you come partner with us, help me build this investment platform called Clarum. And he did. And so we invest in funds, mostly tech funds, and we're a very active, limited partner. Uh, we, uh, we raised a, a SPAC recently to do some larger investments in companies that want to get direct to their consumers, want to have a direct relationship with their consumers, uh, want to be perhaps an omni-channel uh, distri distributor, and want to make that digital leap to commit to being fully digital, like we do with Flowers. And, uh, and then the other thing we, uh, Paul has done is he made some investments, direct investments, where we bought a few companies. And we had a thesis that turned out to be bad timing. The thesis was yeah. there were some magazine publications out there that would be better and bigger brands if they had a, a strong live component to them, live events. Well, we yeah. did that right before COVID. <laughs> so whoop, no more live <laughs> events, even though they were very successful. And we bought three different companies, uh, Worth, Worth Magazine, which came out of Fidelity, Techonomy, which was founded by people out of Fortune Magazine, which is looking at the intersection of technology and everything else. So like you mentioned in charity, technology and charities, technology and healthcare, technology and the economy, all those things. And, and they, they were always a live events company with a publication, but we wanted to beef up their live events. And another one called CDX, which focuses on innovation, thought leadership, and uh, and uh, and they did uh, primarily live events. Well, COVID hits, live events are on hold, and uh, we, we merged them into what we call Clarum Media, and they are focused on building their communities, their audience, and their digital networks. One of the verticals within uh, within Worth is uh, called Women and Worth, and it's a remarkable program. And it gathers thousands of remarkable women from around the country, around the world. And so we at uh, Clarum Media, we at Worth, and me, we get to meet extraordinary uh, folks. And so many of them, uh, so I've done public board service for over 25 years. And uh, lots of times I wind up as the head of the non-gov committee on the boards that I'm on because my network and my opportunity allows me to find people that would be good for, uh, good for boards. And every board I know, every board I know or know of is looking to make sure they have the right blend of diversities on their boards. And so oftentimes I get the call, hey, do you know someone who could do blank? So you have women in work and we get to know these remarkable people who might not hit the radar screen of a Fortune 500 company or, uh, or have the right tenure video, you know, to have risen to those levels, but we get to know them early. And so by accident, we wound up doing lots of placements of people we knew with boards who are looking for different kinds of diversity, heavily women because of uh, the, the desire and the part of, uh, part of companies to have uh, female diversity on their boards, and part because of the wealth and pool of people we get to know through women and work in particular, uh, that we, we decide, let's make this a, a formal activity. Let's staff it up. Uh, and it's not a business for us. We don't want it to be a business, so we'll do it sort of as a nonprofit. But we're having fun because it gives me a chance to meet remarkable uh, folks, uh, mostly women, but not just, uh, almost all diverse in one way or another, whether it's through disabilities or ethnicity or gender. And it's, uh, it's, it's catching a little life of its own. And uh, we call it the Worth Fellows Program, Worth Board Fellows Program. 
And it's becoming a, a little bit more real every day. Excellent. Thank you. Where do you see that going in the next couple of years? Do you think you'll be back to physical events? Oh, yes. Yes, we'll be back to physical events uh, where we have uh, we've done a lot of uh, digital events, obviously. Uh, our, our communities are growing and getting deeper and stronger during this time, which is, how's that happening? But it's because we have such wonderful people and good leaders in those brands and in Clara Media, Josh Campbell, the uh, CEO of the combined companies, Clara Media. And uh, yes, I was, uh, I have a, I'll be speaking with uh, Josh and his team this afternoon. I spoke with them earlier in the week. Uh, they have uh, half a dozen events now on the calendar. They'll be smaller, they'll be discreet, and they'll be uh, super sensitive to uh, uh, doing it in a safe and healthy way. But there's a clamoring for people to reconvene. And uh, Josh and David Kirkpatrick, who run, uh, David, who's our edit editor-in-chief, a uh, veteran of Fortune magazine, he was telling me just the other day that he was surprised that venues are booking up. Uh, there's a real mm -hmm. scarcity of, uh, of space uh, available for, for conferences and events because people are dying to reconnect. I can see that. And I think, you know, once we can travel more, that's going to get booked up. <laughs> Everybody's going to be heading out. I traveled uh, this past weekend. It was the first time I've, uh, I've traveled uh, uh, like that. And uh, it almost it almost felt normal. Everyone was wearing masks. People were very, uh, the, the airlines at all have done a really good job of, uh, of building in safety as the number one uh, priority, uh, in this case, health safety. And uh, it, it, I was quite comfortable doing it. So I, I, my, I have a, a board member, a mentor, and a friend. His name is Adam Hamp. He's a board member of Flowers, and he's one of the great uh, marketing seers, uh, visionaries that I know. And he reminded me eight months ago that we are a people, a culture uh, of, uh, of individuals who are in a hurry to forget. So he said, don't, don't think that this link is going. As soon as people feel safe, they're going to be back out there. I think he's right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So one last question before we wrap this up. It sounds like you've done a lot that is going to live well beyond you and make an impact in the community with Smile Farms and with a lot of the things that you're, you've been building up and with worth and what is it that you want to be remembered for? What's the legacy that you want to leave? Well, I never want to leave. <laughs> so I want, to, I want to be remembered as a guy who never left. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it is, that's an uncomfortable question for a lot of people, me too. Uh, but I would tell you that I, I've never had more opportunities to do more and fun and interesting things that I do now. It's especially interesting to me if it involves my family. Yeah. Uh, I have three grown kids. I have uh, six and a half grandkids. And uh, <laughs> anything I can do that involves them or that we're, and, and we're doing more and more things together in business and, 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 and uh, our uh, charitable activities. So to see that my uh, uh, oldest son, my middle child, is uh, uh, very active in Smile Farms. He's our MC with a, a good friend of ours who's one of the preeminent uh, media training people in the world. So to see my son work with Jack Franchetti uh, and see him learn to be a good public speaker and MC at our events, uh, to see my niece organize every summer our our uh, it's not a fundraiser it's a friend raiser when we mm -hmm. take 
800, 900,000 people to a ball game together. Wow. Uh, on behalf of Smile Farms, and the, they bring their kids and grandkids. So those are the kinds of things that interest me most and that I'm proudest of and that I'm focused on doing more and more of is doing things that involve our families and uh, and uh, uh, getting it down to my grandkids. I, my oldest grandchild is a 12-year-old granddaughter, and to see her now aware of the things we're doing and asking me questions about Smile Farms. I'm, uh, and now that they're getting older, I, I hope they're coming to Worth and to economy events and learn, you know, wow, wow, Grandpa, uh, Papa, they call me, wow, Papa, you know, that I heard you on the uh, a Zoom call the other day with a, uh, that man that develops real estate all around the world. Uh, and you, you guys are talking more about community than you were talking about the cost of raw materials. And I said, well, his name is Mike Meldman, and he's the founder of a company called uh, Discovery Land. And what he creates is really fancy communities that my grandkids have visited some of them that are all about, when I say community, you think I mean the houses. When he says community, he's talking about the relationship between people who feel like they're special because they belong to a, a beach club on Long Island called the Dune Deck, because it's more than a beach club, it's a community. And so to have this dialogue with my 12-year-old granddaughter about the difference between community, a place, and community, a sense among people, I'm so happy that she was nearby to hear me and Mike have that conversation. So that's the stuff that gets me. Yeah. I think you'll probably have many more conversations with your family about those sort of things. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just trying to hang around so we get those opportunities. Or <laughs> well, the fact that I now... I think you've kids, got a long ways to go. The fact that my grandkids, <laughs> I found out when they were here with us last, uh, keep track of the things I say that they think are funny. <laughs> they do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> When I told her I was particularly fond of pelicans, I've heard that back about a dozen times now. She texted it. <laughs> particularly fond? <laughs> of pelicans. Of pelicans, because they were down to visit us in Florida, and we have these beautiful pelicans here. I told her, I'm particularly fond of those, and I didn't realize how silly it sounded to them, but I've heard it back from them a lot. <laughs> now I know they keep a list of papyrisms. <laughs> That's fun. That's Thanks, good. Nicole. It's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit and chat it up. Yeah, Hope thank you so much for this. To learn more about Smile Farms, go to www.smilefarms.org and you will get to see all of the good work that Jim and family and friends are doing. Thank you for choosing to spend your precious time with us today. I'm Nicole A. Donnelly, and this has been the Redefine Gifting Podcast, brought to you by Tis Best Philanthropy, where you too can give the gift of charity at www.tisbest.org. You can also find the show notes for this episode and all other episodes at the tisbest.org blog. Join us next week for another giving story that will bring a smile to your face and quite possibly a happy tear to your eye. Have a wonderful day.